Good morning, everyone. I am Laurel McCarg, host of the Alligator Preserves podcast. And today I have a very unusual guest, one that I did not anticipate having this year. Her name is Dr. Heather England. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about her in a moment. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Heather, welcome to Alligator Preserves. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm excited to have you today here, too, because... Heather, for those of you listening today and are interested in a most exciting podcast episode, Heather is a licensed clinical psychotherapist, a certified sex therapist, and a life coach. She has had a wild and varied career. She graduated in the fifth class to admit women to West Point. She graduated from West Point, the United States Military Academy in 1984, a year after I graduated, by the way. And then she was an army officer for a while. And then she was a senior manager at Hallmark Cards. Am I am I getting this all right? When you care enough to send the very best. Yep, that would be Hallmark. <laughs> you got it. That seems to maybe have led into your decision to do what you're doing now. But were there any other jobs along the way that, that you would want to mention? Well, I was briefly a photographer <laughs> in between Hallmark and becoming a therapist. All right. Yep. All right. So you've done lots of wild and varied things, which yeah, is... very different, very whole brain. Like I, I, I always kind of need a creative outlet. I love that. And change, yeah. change. I have always believed that change is good, even though it's mm-hmm. difficult and a lot of people rail against change. Yep. You know, yeah, it's I hard. think it keeps our brains going, right? Keeps us challenged, keeps us young at heart. Absolutely. I always I'm... on the move. I'm with you. I'm with you there. And in a military career or for, for however long you're in the military, you get to move a lot, which I think is has always been a good thing for me. Some people don't like that, but I loved it. Anyway, uh, you know, my first question is the who, what, when, where, why. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, just a little question. What inspired you after all your previous jobs and employments to become a sex therapist, which we'll kind of focus on today. Yeah, that is a big question, right? Like I think most people would maybe ask that question. I I think it's a two-part answer, Laurel. I think the first part is what inspired me to even become a therapist. And really what inspired me is that when I was at West Point, I really, really, really wanted to go to med school. But At that point in time, I would have had to have stayed in the army like mm, 23 years or something like that. Yeah, forever. When you're, you know, you think about it, when you're 18, thinking about that many years, you thought people in their 30s were old. So, you know, it was just too daunting of a decision to make at that point in time. And uh, I couldn't just be a therapist at what at West Point, right? After I graduated from West Point, because there aren't army officers that are therapists. I would have had to gone to med school and become a psychiatrist. And that's why med school. 
I just decided I, I couldn't make that big of a jump. So I went off, I did my military thing. I did my Hallmark cards thing, but really at the heart of me always as a leader in the military and at Hallmark was that I loved helping people. I really wanted to inspire people and nurture them along the way to help them be the absolute best versions of themselves. And I really focused on building self-esteem in people. And honestly, a lot of that is at the heart of what I do, you know, in my life, both personally and professionally to this day. So, um, yeah, I left Hallmark to pursue my dream to be a therapist. And I am so excited I did it. I think it helped me to be a better person, better mom, better wife, uh, everything, better friend. And so I became a therapist and, you know, you cannot work with people very long, either individuals or couples before the subject of sex comes up. And I realized I suck at sex. Like, I just don't know a lot about sex. Uh Uh-huh. Cut it out. Yeah. All right. Wait a minute now. (laughs) But you became a sex therapist. So, okay. How does that happen? Right. So I realized, holy shit. Oh, can I swear? Uh, There's (laughs) so much I don't know about sex. Right. So I thought I'm going back to school. I got to learn everything I can learn about sex so I can help people with sex. Cause I was kind of scared of the questions they might ask me about sex and like what to tell them about sex. So I actually went back to school and I went to this awesome program at the University of Michigan to get a certification um, in in, uh, sexual health because sex is one of the facets of health. It's not like this. I I know we think it's a taboo thing in our society, but sex is health. It's part of who we are as as human beings. So uh, I worked through the process to become a certified sex therapist after that. And then that just wasn't enough for overachiever me. I had to go on and get my PhD in clinical sexology. Of course you did. It was a lot, right? Yeah, of course I did. So let's just say I know a lot about sex at this point. I I kind of stay in my lane. You know, I, I am a middle-aged, white, heterosexual woman. So I kind of stay in my lane, even, even though I, I know a lot, I, I don't like, I don't work with trans folks, for example. Like I just don't, I don't practice out of uh, maybe my specialty area, right? I leave that competency for somebody else who really specializes it because marginalized people have been harmed so much as it is that they need people who really are focused on, you know, knowing the most they can about about that. So anyway, that's that's what I did. I I just thought I'm not good at sex. I don't know a lot about sex. How am I going to fix this in myself so I can help my clients as much as possible? And I'm well, so excited. Let me, it, it changed my life. Well, let, let me say how, how did how did you know you weren't good at it? Uh <clears throat> That's a great question. You know, I, I felt like there had to be more out there. For me, sexually, I felt when I was younger that I was very stymied in my ability to express myself sexually. Like I felt like 
I felt like it was hard to make noise. It was hard to ask for what I wanted or needed. Hell, I didn't even know what I wanted or needed, right? Um, even moving my body in all the right ways, you know, to make sure I had an orgasm was tough. You know, masturbating in front of a partner was tough. All those things that I think are are inherent in our societal shame and stigma of sex, a taboo around sex, I was carrying around with me. And so it made sex more complicated, more difficult than it needed to be. And so I felt like there was a freedom out there that I could maybe achieve, that there was something more sexually that was out there that I didn't possess, right? So that's why I think I wasn't good at sex. I wasn't embodied. I wasn't able to say, hey, let's have sex. Like I, I, it was hard to initiate. Like I didn't, I didn't even know how to express to my partner what I wanted him to do to me, much less know what I wanted him to do to me in the moment. And I sure couldn't do that in the moment. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Unless you know, I was pretty tipsy and then it was easier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up Catholic and, you know, you only have sex for the purpose of procreation. Right. Yes. And so, you know, it, that was never talked about. Never, 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 never. No one talked about. Although, sex. although I know my parents were sexually active into their 80s. I know they were and I know they weren't looking to make babies. So. Yeah. Oh, good for them. I, <laughs> I know. Pretty yeah. amazing. I want to so, be those people. I, well, yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure you will be. So who is who is your audience? Oh, for my podcast? For your podcast. You know, I struggle with this because I have ADHD and, you know, I kind of want to be everything to everybody, but I've learned I have to rein things in and and stay in my lane. So I really feel like my audience is more people in midlife. And I honestly define that back into mid-30s, okay? Because for many people, they start experiencing symptoms of menopause 10 years before menopause. So they start getting into kind of this midlife-ish place Mm -hmm. earlier than they might anticipate, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, (laughs) All the way up through your parents in their eighties having sex, right? Um, it, it probably tends to be more people in their forties and up, but some of the messages that I'm trying to put out, I really do want some younger audiences to hear because I think it will change their relationship with sex. I'm not about telling people how to have sex, I'm about helping people redefine their relationship with sex so they're much more at ease with it. They're much more comfortable with it. They're much more likely to be very sexually active. Mm -hmm. Now, you've done shows with your son. How how old is your son? Uh, This particular son just turned 28, 28. And he's fairly newly married? Yeah. Yeah. They've been together for a while, I think like six years and they've been married a couple of years. And so yeah. how does it work to work with your son on your podcast, mother-son dynamics? How, you know, what, what's happened with that? Well, um, I have a really special relationship with Cooper. He was not yet two when his dad and I split up. And so he was my baby for a very long time. And he's 
he's a very unique individual. He's very creative. He's very insightful. If you listen to the interviews with Cooper, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, wow, he's like really has a lot of poise and is very insightful and very, um, very self. He has a lot of self-awareness, right? For someone his age. And Cooper grew up in theater. Um, he loved comedy. Uh, he's used to presenting himself. And he and I are able to have conversations about real things. I feel like Cooper and his wife, Maddie, are truly authentic people, which is a really core value of mine, being authentic. So with Cooper, I can have really good conversations. So part of me co-hosting with Cooper was, it just would be fun. Part of it is uh, he just moved away to Chicago and I I love being with him and Maddie. And this is a way to spend time with Cooper doing this. But part of it is some of the messages I want him to hear. <laughs> and I want to get his take on it. I want to hear what someone at that point, that juncture in their life knows and thinks, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. that's that, like I said, that's that earlier audience that if they can change their relationship with sex, they will have a much better life. They will not be stuck. Like I feel like I was and so many of my generation were in terms of being closed in sexually, closed off sexually, right? Not, right. not free. Right, right. We have two sons and I like to think we have great relationships with them and our dinner conversations uh, generally go everywhere. Although we haven't specifically talked about sex in our own personal lives yet. Not sure that we'll get there, but it's an interesting idea. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that I can we can talk with our sons about pretty much everything. And yeah. I just, I feel very fortunate. So you've got this great relationship with your son. What's your husband's response to this? Now, a lot of people say, boy, he is one lucky man. You know, this is, you've, this is a fairly new endeavor that you're in, right? And so yes. what, what's his whole take on this? Well, I am blessed because my husband is a rock star and many people, Many people have heard me talk about him, and I've been pretty out there about Jerry and I. He is older than me, and he is okay with people knowing that he has struggled with erectile dysfunction, you know, in the last probably five years or so, uh, which is what got me to specialize in erectile dysfunction. You know, so many therapists learn about things because they're trying to fix them in their own lives. Okay. Yeah. Which was kind of my answer to sex, right? right like why right. I went back and became yeah. a sex therapist, you know, so I specialized in, in ED so I could learn how to help us with it. But he is so supportive and he recognizes that I always need something to challenge my brain and some type of creative outlet and some way of feeling that I have purpose in the world, that I that there's meaning, right? And yeah. so helping people through the podcast and my side business, Love Filled Life, Love Filled Life, <laughs> I'm pointing to my sweatshirt um, that says Love Filled Life on it. Uh, a lot of that is, is give back for me too. It's a way to help as many people as I can. So That's I've not awesome. yet monetized what I'm doing. Uh, I will soon. Right. But I've not yet. Um, I'm, I'm still just putting out good content to help people. It's that it's that military background. It's that uh, 
social service. It's that mm-hmm. um, desire to give back. Mm-hmm. It's all that. So thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for what you're doing so far. Because well, there really you. seems to be a huge need for what you're doing, right? So, you know, Mike mm-hmm. and I watch certain television shows or, or series. We don't get regular TV. We just, you know, Netflix or whatever. And we've been watching a show called Sex Education. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. And, yeah, and also show. And, and an animated show called Big Mouth, which we watched a while ago, which absolutely shocked me with the hormone monsters and the topics that they covered. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. So what, it, what are your thoughts on those shows being really, really blatant and out there? I love there. it. I, ju- I just love it. We have to start talking about sex. Okay. We have to in our society. And that's, that's part of the genesis for my podcast is, you know, women my age are sexually active. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some women might want to be sexually active, but they're afraid at this point they've shut it down. Okay. Or their partners don't know how to have good sex. So they're not sexually active or their partners have ED. And so they won't, they avoid sex with, with them. Um, because we don't know how to talk about sex in our society and it's such a stigma, it it really shuts people down. And unfortunately, when you stop having sex in your relationship, it disconnects you. Okay. It's a way you express love with your partner, like no other way. So I love that these shows are out there because they're doing what we call normalizing sex. They're making it okay in our society. They're making, sexual talk, sexual acts, different sexual expressions, different sexual identities, they're making it okay. They're normalizing it. They're making it, I hate the word normal, but we use the word normalizing in psychology because it then it becomes part of our part of our our consciousness, part of our culture. And so the more we can start talking about sex, the more we will change the world. So, and that's not my quote. That's, that's the, that's the quote of somebody from the university of Michigan. Yeah. It it removes the taboo. Yeah, totally removes the taboo. Exactly. And so for this next generation, they're growing up seeing so much more sexual content and seeing shows like big mouth and sex education. And they're realizing it's okay to, to talk about sex. It's okay to be sexual. It's okay to try something different sexually. It's okay to, to masturbate. It's okay to ask for what you want. Whereas I don't think our generation got that. We, we definitely didn't. Uh, there was kind of a, a joke or a meme on, on Instagram uh, talking about, you know, men, this is how you woo a woman. You bring her flowers, you give her jewelry, you take her to dinner, you tell her you love her, you laugh with her, you cry with her, you watch movies with her, you shop with her, you and, and the list goes on and on and on, right? This is how men should woo a woman. And and how does a woman woo a man? You show up naked and bring food. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember seeing that. Yes. So yep. so uh, that leads me into the, the question of, of body image, right? And uh, I, I wonder if this is something that you deal with with any of you know any of your episodes, because obviously you know you talk about ED with men. Well, I think with women, you know, we we 
yeah, certainly we are attracted to the physical, but we also need more. And I think we're way more conscious of how our bodies look and feel. And I think that could be a big detractor to sex. Uh, you're spot on. It is a huge detractor for many women to to feel sexual. They just don't feel sexy. They're not comfortable in their body. They're not confident. So it's hard to take someone who's feeling shame or embarrassment about their body and how they look and have them then be sexual and be very sexually expressive. And it's a very important subject. I'm in the process of... um, I'm, in fact, I'm just getting ready to interview somebody who did their PhD dissertation on body image and sexual shame and how it impacts us because it it's a hot topic. And if you think about the media that we see, oh my gosh, starting from the time we're young, we're blasted with images of thin is pretty, right? Yeah. Uh, the beauty industry with wearing lots of makeup and being glamorous and you know, it's very hard for many women to leave the house without the mask on, you know, the beauty mask. Um, and I think culturally, that's what we see all the time. So if those are the images we see all the time, it's hard not to do a comparison of yourself versus these idolized images, you know, uh, in advertisements, on TV shows, you know, movie stars, that type of thing. And anytime we start comparing ourselves to someone else, we feel like we're not enough. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's why social media is so dangerous for people. Cause every time you get on there, you see, you see people's curated perfect lives. And when you compare your lives to them, you end up feeling, ah, oh, you know, I don't, I don't go out as much as they do. I'm not yeah. traveling as much as them. Oh, they're having such better lives than me. What's wrong with me? So people do that on a broad scale in a lot of different ways, but especially with their body image. And if you don't love your body, how are you going to feel comfortable being naked? How are you going to feel comfortable saying, I love my breasts, touch my breasts, right? Mm-hmm. Or touch yeah. my body. It's hard then for you to get your head wrapped into for your partner how pleasing your body is. Like if you can't recognize that in yourself, it's hard to recognize it for your partner. Like they're gaga over your body. Right, right. They're not seeing all the flaws. Yeah. And I will say sometimes I will have a client that comes, a couple, and and it's typically uh, the male, but not always, will say something like, you know, she's gained weight. I'm having a hard time you know, being as attractive as as I used to. And I would say, I say back to them, then that's something you have to change about yourself because that is in your head because who she is, is not defined by her weight. Who she is, is inside. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Cause there are things we can change uh, like in any relationship, there are what I call deal breakers and non-deal breakers right? The deal breakers are the things that are going to ruin your relationship that you you can't stay with that person. And for everybody, it's different. For some people, it's, it's having an affair and cheating. For other people, it might be lying, deception, you know, breaching the trust. But there's a lot of neat, a lot of things that aren't deal breakers. Okay. And your partner having an extra 10 pounds or 20 pounds or 50 pounds, if that's not a deal breaker, then you have to figure out how do you change 
your relationship with that? How do you change yourself so you can still love your partner 100% unconditionally? Oh, thank you for that. What kind of feedback are you getting from listeners? Um, so far, what I'm hearing from people is, you know, they they love hearing me talk about things that they are feeling inside mm-hmm. that they want to know about, but are afraid to ask. And they love knowing that other people are feeling and experiencing the same thing as them, that they're not alone in in their own journey sexually. So yeah. I, I've had a lot of positive feedback in that regard. That's that's great. Wh- yeah. What topic comes up most often as desire. far as con- concerns? Desire? Desire. Yeah. Feeling any kind of desire for sex. You know, if you think about, and this is from a female perspective, but it also comes up for men too, because one of the top issues in in couples therapy is what we call a desire discrepancy. That's where there's a difference in partners in terms of the frequency of sex or the type of sex they want to have, right? And it's always hard because you have to find some kind of compromise in that, right? Because it doesn't mean one partner is wrong. It doesn't mean the low desire partner is wrong or the higher desire partner is wrong. So we have to be really careful not to make one person feel like they're not enough, okay, Mm -hmm. or they're too much. Mm -hmm. So. So desire, whether it's for the male or the female, is impacted by so many things. If we think about what happens to women through the arc of their life, you know, you're young, you're in a relationship, your sexual sex is so easy, you know, you're so horny. (laughs) Yes, you're horny. You get wet right away. You don't have to even touch each other to get hot, right? Like you're having great sex without even like thinking about it or doing anything. And then you get married and then you have babies, you know, typically, and then you're tired. You're exhausted all the time. You got little kids touching you all day long. I'm talking from the female perspective. The last thing you want is another person touching your body or needing you, right? Your breasts take on new meaning. Your breasts have given nourishment as as you've nursed, right? They're like, you you really don't want someone sucking on your breasts, like an adult man (laughs) sucking on your breasts that you just have you know, nursed your baby with, right? So for many, (laughs) yes, for many women that like weirds them out about, about their breasts sexually after that, it's, it's a hard thing for them. Um, but you know, then your kids get bigger and, and, you know, you're trying to keep the house afloat and you're running around after your kids and you, or you're working outside the house or you're not working outside the house, but regardless of that, like a lot of your energy goes into your kids. And this is where a lot of women make a mistake. Okay, they stop being interesting people Ah. because they focus all their life on being a mom. And so in a way, they stop being the person that their partner fell in love with. They stop having their own passions. They stop having their own interests. Okay, they do everything in service of their kids and they stop taking care of themselves. Mm. Right. They stop Mm. pursuing the things that give them joy, that keep them alive. Yeah. Okay. Cause there's not enough time in the day to do that because in our society, it still is a very um, unequal weight of who does what in the house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for, for many women, 
that that time period causes them to become so exhausted. They don't want sex as much. They disconnect a bit from their partner in that process. They become roommates oftentimes. You know, they'll still have sex, but not a lot. But they're really focused more on the administrative running of the household and raising the children. And then kids are teenagers. What happens when your kids are teenagers? It's hard to have sex because they're around all the time and they hear you. Okay. Oh, I remember my daughter one time she walked by the bedroom when she was a teenager, right? As my husband orgasmed. And she said to me the next day, oh my God, mom, was dad having another PTSD dream last night? I heard him moaning and I felt so bad for him. Oh, it's great. Right. Oh, yeah. But that kind of kills your like it makes you a little uncomfortable having sex knowing you got teenagers coming and going at all hours of the day. All right. Then they go off to the college and you're empty nesters. So what? Suddenly now you're supposed to like want to have a lot of sex. Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't nurtured that all those years, it's really hard to pick that up again. Okay. And women desire sex by feeling loved and close and connected to their partner. That's the pathway for them to be interested in sex. And there are many males that kind of don't get that, right? Mm -hmm. They think, okay, well, I took you out to dinner. Let's, let's Let's do it. Let's have sex. Let's go straight to intercourse. Like, (laughs) hello, you know, intercourse is not most women's jam. Okay, you know, 30% at the tops of women can orgasm from intercourse and not reliably. So that's not a reliable number. So it's not the number one thing on most women's list. Okay, but for many men, they just don't get it. They think like it's the end all be all because that's how they've been socialized. Right. In a way, it's not fair to them because they miss out on all these other wonderful things. Okay, And, and not every man's that way. Okay, but men feel, here's the catch, men feel loved through sex. Women need to feel loved to want to have sex. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to figure out how to make that work. So I think I rambled way away from your original question. No, I think that's absolutely spot on. Yeah. And I, I know that Many listeners will be nodding their heads when they're listening to this. Yes. So, and I just like, I'm sorry, but I just keep hearing my husband's orgasm. God, that was so <laughs> funny. That was just so funny. It oh, was a really good stories. orgasm too. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just, I, I tell that pe- moment. Well, I, I tell people we moved from Leadville where we were right next door to other people to Salida because I needed more oxygen, but really yeah. we moved to Salida so I could have three acres. So I wouldn't scare the neighbors. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we, we have a basket of sex toys. Well, <laughs> more than one basket, actually. Very big <laughs> baskets. And yeah, I, I have to figure out, like, if anything were to happen to us, like, I have to have my, I, I did tell my oldest daughter, you know, if anything happens to us, you probably want to go in that closet, pull that out, right? <laughs> so everyone else doesn't see it. How do you, how do you put that in a will? (laughs) Well, here's, I'll tell you, you know, here's, I'm a sex therapist. What do I have on my desk? A dildo. There you go. (laughs) I think I'm going to have to check the uh, adult content when I post this on YouTube. Oh no. (laughs) Should I not have done that? I'm in the process of filming a sex toy course. So I have little accoutrements, you know, laying around. You are a sex therapist and we're talking about sex. So (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, that's all good. So here's a question for you. When are you going to do a live show with Collins? Oh, that's a great idea. I, I uh, think you so. know, I I think uh Laurel, I'm still building my audience. Yeah. So I might be probably a few months away from that. Okay. But that's a great idea. I th- I think it is because I, I think you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna be known as the Dr. Ruth for the 21st century, right? Oh, thank you. Yeah, actually, actually, that's kind of the persona I'm going for because I think Dr. Ruth was such a cool woman because she was authentic. Uh, she was funny. Uh, I don't often feel funny, but she was so funny. <laughs> and she, I just believe in being direct and yeah. you just kind of say it like it is. I mean, yeah. you can do it gently, but I, I think if we would have more direct talk about all of this and not dance around it, it would be so different. And she was such a groundbreaker at the time yeah. that she came on the scene. Pretty phenomenal woman, really. Yeah. So much respect for her. Absolutely. So as far as being able to talk openly and honestly about things that you never could before, I mean, it's kind of like a fake it till you make it kind of deal, right? You just you just do it. You do it again. You know, like you tell people who are afraid of public speaking, the more you do it, the easier it becomes, Right. Yes. The, the, you mean, are you asking me for someone who's older that wants to start getting back into sex again? Yeah. 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 So it is in some ways a, a fake it till you, you make it, except I will say you need a support underneath all that to give you the confidence to even make that first step. The first step is the hardest. The first step of reaching out to your partner to say something like, I want to have a better sex life. What's that look like to you? Like being curious, Mm -hmm. I think is one of the best things we can do in a relationship. Be curious about yourself. Be curious about your partner and what they're feeling and what they're wanting and what they're needing and what they're thinking. So communication is the core root of so many problems for couples and the first step really is talking to them about, hey, let's make a change in our sex life. But you have to want to make the change, right? So let's make a change in our sex life. Let's figure out how to make this be better. And I want to start being more open sexually. Like if you figure out, you identify what your goal is, mm-hmm. then you can start, I guess, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I like that fake it till you make it the more I sit with that. Because you just kind of have to, I guess you do in a way, you have to drive on, right? Right. It's like at West Point when we really didn't want to be in those long road marches and we knew we just had to put one foot in front of another. And then eventually we would get to where we were going. So I think of it more that way. Like, like it's hardest to put yourself out there the first time. The first time you say to your partner, hey, I want to try a new sex toy. Let's get a sex toy and try it together. Right. Or Let's lay here and kiss and masturbate. Like we can kiss and both touch ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like if you redefine sex away from intercourse, you can do a lot more things, but you really have to push yourself out of your comfort zone to do that. So in pushing yourself, um, the first time you do it, it will be hard. Right. The second time it will be a little easier. The third time it, it will get a little easier until eventually it's, it's comfortable. It's comfortable. Like it's, it's your way of being now, right? It's not such a big elephant in the room anymore for you. I know that because I personally walked that path. Yeah. Okay. Because I I wanted uh, to be better at sex. 
Yeah. And so I I knew I had to start putting myself out there. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't I couldn't fake it like I was this orgasmic woman that could say, Oh, come to me, baby, you know, do me now, kind of thing, right? But I could I could fake it in that I could think of myself as a sexual woman because your brain is your biggest sex organ. That's yes. where it starts. You have to get yourself in that mindset, that headspace of I want to have sex. Yeah. I want to be sexual. I am sexy. You know, I, I want to do this with my partner. And if you can get your head wrapped around that, that's the first step, right? Beautiful. I love it. Uh, what else can you tell our listeners out there? I mean, what what message would you want our listeners to take away from our visit today? I mean, you have so much to offer and you've already <laughs> you've already opened my world and <laughs> given me ah, things to think well, about. That's a big question. Um, I think the message, who's your audience? Share with me a little more about who your oh, audience is. Oh, Laura. my audience. I have uh, I have a lot of authors who are my audience and, and typically people uh, my middle age. Mostly. Okay. Okay, great. So I think I would say that sex, good sex doesn't have to stop in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. I mean, it can go on all the way through like your parents were in their eighties, still having sex. Right. Mm -hmm. I just had a great conversation with a woman yesterday in her seventies, who's having great sex with her partner and spent the entire afternoon before this party we went to in bed (laughs) with her, with her husband, drinking cocktails, watching shows on TV, and I'm sure having good sex right along the way. So you can have good sex. You can reignite that sexual relationship with your partner. And sex is not a thing you do. It's a special place you go to with your partner. Okay. It's a place, it's it's something you share with them that, that you will share with no one else in that way. It's unique to, to you. You love each other tenderly in a way you can't love each other any in, in other ways, right? Like you can only get that through your sexual relationship. And the more you prioritize your sex life, the happier you will be. The happiest long-term couples in relationships do two things. I think actually three things. The research kind of, there's research on, on all of this. One is they continue to build their friendship. The second is that they prioritize sex. They make it be an important thing within their relationship. And the third thing from different research is that they redefine sex into pleasure and connection away from intercourse. So it's any kind of sex that is pleasurable and connecting is great sex. Doesn't have to include intercourse, doesn't have to even include an orgasm. Pleasurable sex can be a massage. It can be snuggling together and both of you masturbating if you want to. Okay. It can be just spooning it. Like it, it's how you think of it, right? It's, it's a connection. It's a connection. So yeah. grow your friendship, prioritize sex, redefine sex, and, and you can be sexual and have great sex throughout your entire lifespan. That's oh. the message. Dr. Heather England, this has been wonderful. Listeners out there, I hope you will follow Dr. Heather England on Instagram, where daily you have little tidbits, little tidbits to think about, and they're wonderful. 
every single day. And it's Dr. Heather England on, on Instagram or, and follow her on www.lovefilledlife.com and subscribe to her great sex podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, right? You're there. You're all over the place with that. Oh, Dr. Heather England, I will look forward to meeting you again sometime on, oh, perhaps a beach in, uh, <laughs> on the Outer Banks. Um, truth be told, I met Heather at a friend's home on the Outer Banks, oh, a couple of years ago, a few, few years ago, and uh, was immediately taken by your um, your enthusiasm and what you were doing. And I knew at that time that this is what you were going into. And I just thought, oh, well, someday I'm going to interview you in today's the day. So I thank you so much for taking time to uh, engage and inspire, I hope, our audience and listeners, you can find today's show notes with links and photos. Um, Heather, will you send me a few uh, photos of yourself? Maybe, well, not doing, well, <laughs> I was going to say doing things. <laughs> that thought went through my head. Like, what? <laughs> send, send me a couple of uh, G-rated photos of yourself. <laughs> and I'll, I'll put those up on my website at leadvillearl.com and, uh, Oh, that's funny. Okay, wait, I'll leave you with one little extra chuckle. So my son, Cooper, who I do the podcast with, right? He uh, he edited my first videos. I did do a course on erectile dysfunction. Okay, that's the only thing I currently have that, that I sell right now. Uh, but <clears throat> one of the videos was how to use sex toys, like when you have erectile dysfunction, because a lot of people don't know how to use it. And, you know, if if you can't get hard, you can, and I'm going to be pretty graphic here. You can use a dildo, right? And you can have penetration with a dildo, right? Wearing a harness or, or you put the dildo in this kind of special brief that, that holds it. So in, in the, the video, like I'm holding a dildo in my hand and I'm kind of showing, like, I'm almost like stroking it as I'm holding it. And then I'm showing how you put it in the harness and stepping into the harness and holding it in my hand as I get in the harness. And Cooper like laughed his head off and he did like a little clip of that, send it out to all of our family. Like, here's mom, here's mom doing her thing. Is that something that I could put a link to? Oh, that that little extra clip of the video? Yeah. <laughs> if there's a link, then then you know I said yes. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I could see that being everywhere. My my oldest daughter's comment was, Mom, please tell me that's not a dildo you've used. <laughs> I said, no, oh my. Honey, not and, for that. And on that have others, but not for that. <laughs> you know, I named my other ones, but not that one. On those notes. I will thank you once again, Dr. Heather England and, and listeners take from this what you will <laughs> have a lovely day, Heather. And, uh, yeah, and we'll, go have we'll, some great sex, Laurel. I, I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. <laughs>